Did you know that yearly Medicaid renewals will start again soon? This means millions of people who were enrolled in Medicaid during the pandemic may no longer be eligible for coverage. If this may impact you, the good news is you have options. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield can help answer your questions so you can find an affordable health plan for you and your family. We want you to feel confident you're covered. Click to learn more. Policy exclusions and limitations apply. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield is the trade name of Community Insurance Company. Ready for the interview, and if you get a cue live on a laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real, that's the motto. Real talk, pronto, doctor, DPHD, hit an intro. Hold up, wait, gotta be social, network, global, home for the locals. Gotta be social, network, global, home for the locals. Thank you for being here. And thank uh, you for having me. Yes. And uh, we're going to talk a little about journalism here. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So obviously, I think journalism is an interesting topic in today's time, especially. It's always but interesting, but today especially. So let's jump into your current thoughts about journalism as it is today and then why you got into it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we're definitely in an interesting time, I think, uh, in a lot of ways. Number one, I think that, you know, media is kind of a hot button issue. And the fact of, you know, people have different opinions about how they feel about media and privacy and, you know, just just everything that's going on in today's world. Um, and I also think we're living in a really interesting time with social media when uh, journalism is not just relegated now to people who work for uh, print or, you know, media outlets or, you know, authors or whatever it may be. But, you know, with Twitter, it seems like anyone is kind of a journalist and, you know, taking pictures and and all of that. So I think we live in a really interesting time where journalism is accessible uh, to a lot of people in that sense. Um, when it comes to why I wanted to be a journalist, uh, I grew up and I loved speaking and communicating and telling stories. English was always my favorite subject. I loved reading and I just loved getting to know people, talking to people and, you know, reading stories about people. And then when I was in middle school, I joined a speech and debate team and there was a category called radio broadcasting. And I found that I really liked compiling news and kind of presenting it. And so when I kind of thought about my love for stories and storytelling, and then my kind of newfound interest in broadcasting, uh, I also always loved photography growing up and was always taking pictures. And so my parents actually gave me the idea of like, you know, this actually could be a career path. You could kind of combine all of these things that you like and maybe turn it into a job. And so that kind of started my moment realizing that I wanted to be uh, a TV news broadcaster. And so I kind of, you know, went down the path of learning journalism and trying to get to know how, you know, the ins and outs of it and communication. And, uh, you know, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So uh, I'm curious, like, what are people missing in journalism Let's say you said anybody, you know, there's this concept that anyone could be a journalist, Twitter and all this stuff. But what are kind of your everyday journalists who don't have the education? What are they missing out on the educational aspect of it um, yeah. in terms of reporting? Yeah, I think that is a great um, you know, question. I think, first of all, is the idea of kind of journalism ethics and more just respect. Like, And I think even for career journalists, it's very easy to just get into the narrative 
of like, oh, this is, you know, a story like I'm, you know, coming across, you know, maybe it's a scene or maybe it's this thing that you're uncovering or I, I don't know, it could be anything. But I think it's important to remember that there is someone behind the story you're telling, whether it's an interview with someone, it's like, that's their life. Yeah, it's your story or it's what you find interesting that you're tweeting about. But this is, you know, real people that are really being affected by what you're potentially saying or delivering. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. And then also, I think that nowadays journalism is very much kind of under fire for having bias. And I'm not saying that that's not true um, in certain instances, uh, but I think two things are important. Number one is realizing that we're all people. We all have our own biases. And while in journalism and in reporting, you might be looking for objectivity. And that is certainly important, I think. Um, we are just human and we all do have our own perspectives and our own way of viewing the world. So I think realizing that and not trying to run away from that is really important. Um, and then also, I think it's important to maintain objectivity in reporting and, you know, always make sure that you are telling both sides of the story. That said, uh, I do think it's important to make sure that you as the you know journalist understand the context because objectivity and telling a story objectively uh, I think it's really important to bring in the context and provide that to your story so you know maybe that doesn't look like completely 50 50 telling a story it's like you definitely need to have both sides you always need to tell a story um, but I think just weighing into you know consideration is important when it comes to context and providing that you know, it feels like to me back in the day was like, if you wanted opinions, you would get, go to like editorial pieces and things. And there was yeah. like a structure for that. To me, it feels like it's just a lot of editorial. It's yeah. just a lot of most of it is opinion, it feels like. But like I wanted to get on the ethics part. <laughs> this is a this is a tricky situation. It is. Talk a little bit about what you learned about ethics and reporting. I don't think people are thinking about this enough. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, again, like I mentioned, just keeping in, in mind that this is a real story and you have a job to report honestly and to report ethically. So that means keeping in mind the people that you're talking to. It means if someone comes to you and they say, hey, I have these details on this story, but I don't want you to share it. It's maintaining that. It's protecting them. It's protecting their story. And um, really just, I mean, honestly, I think it comes down to just considering people and, and that kind of basic and you know, consideration and integrity. And then it is also being above board with everything you do in terms of gathering information, talking to people, making sure that um, you're telling a story because it's accurate and it's truthful, not because it's, you know, going to have the best headline or get the most views or, you know, whatever that may be. Uh, and I think in this kind of world of social media that we're living in, I mean, clickbait is such a big thing and entertainment news and even, I mean, promotions and just everything. And I think that we're really used to that kind of culture. And then you mentioned opinion pieces and kind of what I talked about earlier, where it seems like now everyone can be a journalist of their own, which I think is an awesome thing. But it's also kind of interesting when you do have people going on Twitter and it feels like this personal thing where you can kind of go back and forth with people. And I think it's really hard to kind of draw the line of like, okay, this is reporting and this is objective and this is delivering the facts with relevant context. And that is not saying, you know, this is how I think about something. And I think it's really easy nowadays to kind of blur that line. How do you get people to have integrity in journalism if there's not a lot of consequences to that journalism? Yeah. 
You know, I think that's the question. I, I don't know if anyone has the perfect answer. And I will say, I don't think you have to be formally trained in school in order to learn about those ethics and really understand it. Um, I think it's more just, I mean, I really don't know if I have an answer. I think it's just understanding a few things. One being that if you put something out into the world, you never know who's going to read that or how it's going to be perceived. And I think that's not even just related to journalism. I think it's just a life lesson is like, you when you put something out there it's so much harder to explain it later down the line mm. so you know, maybe that's an opinion that you put out and someone takes it and misunderstands it uh it, you know it's a lot easier to just provide the context or maybe not put it out in the first place as opposed to trying to backtrack or retract what you said so i think just having that kind of state of mind again not just in journalism but in everything um is helpful. And as far as, you know, helping people, I guess, learn the ethics or, or be ethical, I really don't know. I don't know if there's a great answer, but I think it's just realizing that everything you say or, or do has, you know, consequences potentially. So really just thinking that through is important. Yeah. I, um, I'm just curious from your point of view on these things, because I think from, obviously I'm not a journalist, but on the outside looking in, I'm like, well, what's popular, what is grabbing the most attention, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of consequences to the kind of reporting that's done. Well, if you know something's blatantly not true, it, it just feels like people just put out whatever they want. And there's nothing. There's really yeah. no accountability. And my thing is I, I look at kind of like, there, and speaking of reporting, there's a lot of reporting about school and the value of college and all these things. And I think about, I have my doctorate. And I think about what was the point of that? Like, could I've learned that on my own? Or really, I think for me, the value was the people that I had a lot of mentorship and safeguards during that time of people who mentored me into the field and, and gave me a lot of wisdom. Is that was that a big part of your educational journey in journalism? Or what do you think like the real value of formal education in journalism was? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. I think so much of uh, the benefit that I had growing up even um, is just everyone that kind of poured into me. I don't think I would be here, you know, without everyone's advice and encouragement and support along the way. Um, and so I, I certainly think that that's important. And I also think it's experience. And I, I think that's kind of the biggest thing mm. with journalism and with reporting is just getting out there and getting experience. But in order to do that, it is important to build connections and to learn from people. And I think the more people that you have and that you can learn for, from and hear about maybe their mistakes or what they did well, um, then you can use that and then be better for it and use that, um, you know, in your own experience that you're getting. But I do think it is really important to have that experience. Um, and then, yeah, certainly having a support system of people pouring into you just can only help. It's a real hot button topic, I feel like. Um, it is. Reporting it is. out there. Um, I kind of associated with like sports journalism, which has turned from just providing scores and updates on player movement to a lot of um, opinion based TV shows where people argue with each other and, yeah. you know, say crazy stuff about players and this and that. But it seems like for people are drawn towards the drama primarily or these big stories these hit pieces for that i mean where do you see this profession going as you see it how it is now 
I think we're in a really interesting time because I think it's going to change drastically. I think journalism mm -hmm. and reporting in 10 years is going to look so much different. Less so for that reason. I do think certainly that the attitude, though, is especially when it comes to, I would say, national news. I think it's, you know, definitely people are shifting attitudes about that. And so I do think that's influencing things. But then also just I, I feel like a broken record. But with social media and the way we're developing, I think people are consuming news differently. And I think they're not looking for it in the same way that they have been. And I think we've seen that even with the decline of like print. So mm. newspapers now um, look far different than they did, you know, before they've declined a lot in popularity. And there's still some awesome, you know, print, I guess, uh, outlets out there. Um, but I do think, especially just like with, I mean, even like TikTok and how that is transforming the way that we consume content with streaming platforms and how that works. I, I think that it's going to look really different. I don't think anyone knows exactly what it's going to look like. Um, but I think being open to change and not resisting against it is uh, kind of what's important now. And I'm just along for the ride. I'm interested to see where it goes. How do you view, this is fairly recent, um, how do you view something like ChatGPT and the effect it could have on journalism? Oh my gosh, I think we are at such a crazy point, like on the brink of this crazy AI thing that's going to just explode. And it's been exploding and been, you know, continuously developing. I will say it's scary good. <laughs> like I think- Scary good. Yeah, like, I mean, it's wild. And so I think- it's going to affect everything. And I think we're all going to have to adapt to it. And I mean, I know even when it comes to like writing essays in college and just school, teachers are really worried about making sure that children are still getting education. And so I think I, I really don't know. I think it's definitely going to change reporting because I think it's going to replace a lot of what people can do. What I will say is that I think when it comes to reporting, really getting to know those stories, getting to form relationships is a big part of journalism and of reporting. And I don't see how a machine can you know, do that. I think that, sure, it can write an amazing article, but I don't think it will have that value of a face-to-face -face conversation really getting to explore an issue diving deep into it um but i mean i don't know i'm i i guess we'll see <laughs> i mean i think as someone like uh, like i may be getting this wrong maria van zant who goes like deep into like drug cartel worlds and things and she has these very uh dangerous and close experiences i can't i'm not sure like how an ai could capture that that's into what I'm writing saying. something you know yeah, exactly. And I think you really need someone to go out there and and also, I think, understand not only gather the information, which is a huge part of reporting and journalism is actually figuring out what you're writing or, or broadcasting about. That's a huge aspect. But then also like understanding nuances and really, really, truly getting a full picture based on what you see and what you experience. And yeah, I, I don't think that's really something that you can get, you know, from A.I., it is pretty crazy, though. I mean, I've used it and like especially with podcasts, and I was like, let's see what this is like. And like the yeah. blogs it creates from it just from submitting audio. It's wild. Oh, my gosh. That's it's crazy. wild. It's like it pretty really good, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I, I honestly haven't used it much myself, but I've seen people use it. I've seen examples. I did try and use it one time recently, and there was like a wait list like I couldn't get on because there were so many <laughs> blogs on. So I don't know. It's it's definitely an exciting time. I think it's kind of cool. I, I think it's cool too. I think it's um, it'll be interesting. I think kind of these kind of kind of lazy pieces and stuff will be easy to just throw in there. And it's like, oh, uh, but it's like, at what point will it get to you? Think, did a person actually write this, or yeah. like, is it indistinguishable from a human at some point? 
Yeah, I think it I think it could be. I don't have all that much experience with it. So I, I don't know. But from what I've seen, I think it's pretty convincing. So I don't know. And I do think, I mean, just going back to our conversation earlier of ethics, I think being, I mean, and that's not even just with journalism. That's also like with school, if you're working sure. with someone on or whatever it may be. But I think being really um, honest about how you wrote a piece or how that piece came to be, if you are using artificial intelligence, then I think that's an important thing to you know, communicate. So I think moving forward, seeing how people kind of manage that will be interesting. Yeah. I mean, actually, when I was in college and all three levels of my education, I had a philosophy course and ethics was a very large part of that, that course load and getting up in front of people and arguing other people's points of views and things of that nature. That's to me, what's missing. in a lot of this is that formalized, kind of getting up there and someone's guiding you through how to look through an argument and argue rationally. Like I learned how to argue rationally through co- in college. Yeah. Right? And a lot I of people don't do cool. that. No, they don't. And I don't think that's a new thing. I think that's just, you know, yeah. people feel passionately about an issue and they just want to, you know, share their thoughts. And now it's it just easier than ever. And you have this massive audience of people. You can just put something on social media and you never know who's going to see it. So I think that can kind of, escalate things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of human nature to just, you know, spout off what you think maybe without really thinking it through or hearing everyone's (laughs) perspectives. It's funny though, is that's, that's never been natural for me. I'm like, I've never felt, yeah. I'm like, I always think, "Mm," but maybe it's the time I grew up when like something would happen to you. If you said something, there was a lot of guardrails. So it's like, my mind was like, Oh, it's like when I was growing, I'm in my 40s, but if, like when I was going to school, you worried about your parents like getting your grades. You're like, this better yeah. be good because like, man, I don't want my mom to see this. You know, it's like or there was yeah. a lot of accountability and consequences. And I think there's a deterioration of that. If you're never worried about consequences, then you just say whatever you want and you don't care if it hurts people. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, and I think also. um, I mean, again, talking about social media, I think you you touch on something which is, you know, you care if it hurts people. But I think when you're on social media, a lot of times you don't see you're not having that face to face interaction. So you might not see how it's affecting people. So I think that could be a part of it, too, is, you know, you might say something and never really see the consequences or never feel them to the effect that you would if, if it was in person. I have a great example of this, and this is actually about your own self, the concept of retirement, like people plan horribly for retirement in the United Mm. States. And the research in this is so fascinating. And there's um, a show explained on Netflix that talks about this, is that people do not associate their current self with their future self. They don't know that person. So like they did this face app thing where like, let's say you, you look like you're in your 20s, Sam, like, you know, right? So I'm 44, you're in your 20s. And basically, like, it, it's a more realistic version of what you would look like, let's say, with your 80 or something like that. Yeah. And they show all these people how they would look when they're older. And they're like, that is not me. That wow. is. And this one guy was like, dude, I look insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So people won't contribute to their retirement. Because they can't believe that that's what they're going to look like or that person in the future. They don't believe it's them. Yeah. So it's kind of this concept is like if you don't have accountability or guardrails for things, you're often just not going to contribute positively to things because you just don't associate it with you. 
I and mean, if you can't see someone and you can't see them being hurt by you, you just kind of don't care for that. Yeah. It's crazy. No, absolutely. And I think it's also, I mean, kind of tied to it is that idea of instant gratification yeah. and like people. And so I think with retirement and saving for retirement, you don't get that because it is, you know, you're saving for the future. It's this long-term investment. Um, but I think people in general typically like instant gratification. And then again, with social media, I mean, you're posting a picture, getting likes immediately, getting feedback and comments and, and all of that immediately. So I think we're even moving more towards that desire for instant gratification, which does not bode well for, you know, retirement and what you might look like in 40 years. So let's transition to um, something very close to you, um, your parents yes. and their, um, their establishment and the work they've done with uh, addiction and recovery um, and then reporting on the opioid crisis. Jump into that a little bit, the origins of that and uh, why it's such a, a worthwhile venture. Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So that's been such a huge part of my life. Um, because when I was in high school, my parents opened a restaurant. Um, they have years of experience in the restaurant industry. They actually met in a restaurant when they were in their 20s, um, or actually even a little bit younger than their 20s. But um, so my dad and my mom have been in the restaurant industry for years and years, and they saw this really interesting culture of partying. And as they got uh, uh, older and they grew up in the restaurant industry, my dad actually went into recovery. He was an alcoholic. And so he got sober and my mom kind of followed him along with that journey um, and just saw how that kind of transformed his life. And then they continued to stay in the restaurant industry and this industry that constantly, you know, drinking and drug use had been a part of the culture. They noticed that it switched and it wasn't anymore just people staying out and, you know, drinking a lot, coming into work hungover or whatever, using drugs for fun. Um, they opened their own restaurant and in just a few years, they lost 13 employees, um, who had died and, they died by drug and drinking overdoses. And so my parents realized like things are different. This is, you know, not what we were used to. And so they decided to open a restaurant, a different concept. It's called Deviate Kitchen and it employs people in recovery from substance use disorder, um, which is super important now uh, more than ever with the opioid crisis and what that's looking like. Did you know that yearly Medicaid renewals will start again soon? This means millions of people who were enrolled in Medicaid during the pandemic may no longer be eligible for coverage. If this may impact you, the good news is you have options. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield can help answer your questions so you can find an affordable health plan for you and your family. We want you to feel confident you're covered. Click to learn more. Policy exclusions and limitations apply. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield is the trade name of Community Insurance Company. I mean, what an amazing story. I mean, talk about something really like actually doing something to help people is yeah. <laughs> like incredible. Um, and and this is, I think reading is is linked to your, your, you know, kind of your feelings about the opioid crisis. And I, I man, I've watched so many shows about this. And uh, one that's one of my favorites is Dope Sick on yeah. Hulu. I mean, Michael Keaton, holy cow. Oh my goodness. That I whole mean, cast is phenomenal. The writing everyone. is awesome. I mean- I dope sick. I seriously think everyone should watch it. It's not only, I mean, entertaining, it hooks you, but I mean, it's Oof. so powerful. Like, man, it's a great show. Just man, just the big part that stuck with me is when it was the guy that came down who was selling for Purdue and Michael Keaton, you think he's turned himself around being in that clinic. Oh, he just wants that, more drugs. 
I got like, chills. I mean, even uh, just you saying that, that was so powerful. Oh my gosh. The hook is so deep. The rewiring of the brains. Uh, it's just like crazy. So like, that's amazing, but there's been so much reporting on this and there continues to be what's, what needs to change in this though, for something to actually happen. Yeah. I really think it's an attitude shift. I think the biggest kind of first step we can take just large scale is I think so many people look at this problem as an us versus them type deal of like, Oh, those addicts, those junkies over there. And I think really understanding that like, no, no, no. Like this is a problem that is literally affecting everyone. It is affecting people that look like you, that you know, it could affect you, I think is really important because we, I mean, just as people, we care less when it affects people that don't look like us, that don't talk like us, that don't act like us or whatever it may be, or maybe that are far away in proximity. Um, but so I think that's kind of why it, maybe people feel like they just don't care as much, but then, and I hate how, you know, selfish that sounds, but really, truly, when you realize that this is something that is affecting you, I think that's when we can kind of start actually caring enough to work towards a solution. I think I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think the frustration too, is that these companies, they get slaps on the wrist monetarily for them. They're making so much money that paying this exorbitant sum that would be for most humans. They're like, eh, no big deal. Yeah. You know, like no one's going to jail for this stuff. Very few people are going to jail for what seems like a lot of lying, a mm -hmm. lot of coversion and hooking, uh, especially people like, in, you know, in Appalachia, which yeah. took place that just just swindling people, telling them it's not addictive, you know, and then then I think it links to other things like there's so many drugs that are coming into this country. And it, yeah. like the fentanyl crisis, I mean, that seems so scary to me. It's so scary. So and I think scary. that um, the COVID-19 pandemic absolutely had a, a big thing to do with that and with just the amount that we saw overdoses increase. Mm. Um, and so I think it's definitely a really, you know, scary time. And I think that yeah, I mean, it's it's just a scary, scary time we're living in. And I do think also with these companies that have kind of perpetuated uh, or started these problems, yes, getting consequences is obviously very important. But at the same time, it's like, all right, that's great. And that's fine that they're being sued and, you know, paying up or whatever it may be. But that doesn't change the fact that like this problem's already started. Like, it, you know what I mean? They already have done damage. So I think it's now trying to figure out number one, damage control. How can we help these people that are unfortunately addicted? And then yeah. how can we be proactive and help future people from getting addicted? Most definitely. And I always think of what is the solution in the sense of like, this is really attacking all people, but certainly people of underrepresented populations, poor people. It just seems to be targeted towards these populations. Like this, what's the solution to help people on a larger scale uh, outside of just the regulation and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's really just starting the conversation. I mean, even just like you and me just talking about yeah. it, I think out there getting it out into the world is important. And you absolutely are right. I think that underrepresented populations have been suffering the consequences of addiction. Uh, I mean, really intensely and kind of touching on what I said earlier. 
honestly, no one cared. It doesn't seem like this was a big issue and people were really talking about the opioid crisis until it started affecting people of higher social class. Right. I mean, really. That's right. And so I think that's really sad. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that's that's what's calling attention to it. And that's why it seems like to me people are really starting to care is, you know, now it's not just people of lower socioeconomic classes or a certain race or a certain, you know, ethnicity or whatever it may be. It's literally like a- affecting everyone, even people in higher social classes or, you know, so I think just realizing that is important, but then also understanding the context of like, man, like it's important to fix it at all levels. And I think also realizing the disparity of what people have access to is important. Like when it comes to treatment facilities, there are more and more popping up every day, which is obviously a great thing and, you know, really important, but um, not everyone has access to the same amount of resources. So I think realizing that and doing work to try and, you know, account for that disparity is important. Most definitely. I mean, man, these are, there's, it feels like there's like so many big stories out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, like two. It's it's almost overwhelming, Sam. The amount of big stories, whether it's politics, whether it's drugs, whether it's immigration, it's just like yeah. it's dizzying. What content are you pulled towards to talk about, to report on that, like really is close to you outside of the stuff we just currently talked about with deviate yeah. and things? Yeah, I think honestly, really deviate kind of has shift or not shifted my perspective, but really inspired me. I love telling stories of like transformation on all different ends, not even just related to drug addiction, um, but even like incarceration or just people who, you know, might go into business. Like, I don't know any stories of just people doing really incredible things like I mean, that I just love that. I love seeing people doing really well that have this story of how they came up and got to where they are. And there are a lot of those out there. Um, So I love stories of hope, stories of transformation, stories with happy endings Um, are really, really, you know what I like. But that's what everyone likes. I mean, everyone wants a happy (laughs) ending. So I don't think I'm unique in that, but I do really love hearing about that and and being able to tell those stories whenever I can. How do you... um... How do you source your stories? Like, or how do you decide what you want to work on or, and, and how do you prep for that? Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to my job as a reporter, I am doing two stories every day. So it's really the deadline of just, you know, trying to make sure I'm staying in my community, really learning about what people are wanting to hear about, what people want to know, um, and just, you know, constantly looking for things. So that is the, I think, big benefit of doing what I do is I'm constantly meeting new people. I'm constantly learning about new stories. Um, And so I think just kind of keeping it up and just making sure that I'm really in my community. And that's one thing why I love local news is because you have, I mean, national news is important and I totally, you know, I, I get that and I understand that and it totally has its place. But I think that with local news, you have such the benefit of being a part of the community that you're telling stories about. And then you do really understand that context and the nuances that I was mentioning earlier. Um, so I, I love that. Has local news changed much over time that you've seen or like what's the kind of feel for that environment right now? Yeah, I do. I think local news is always changing to match the communities that it's in. Um, and I do think that I feel like being, I I don't know if this is so much of a change necessarily, but I do think that um, 
local news reporters and journalists are really making an effort to be seen in their community and again to really feel like they're ingrained in their community because it's so important because I think when you have and this is something that I feel like people think about national news outlets when there's a story that might garner national attention like you don't ever or I I won't say that but I would say a lot of people don't want to feel like it's these people just coming in to tell a story and then leaving and not caring about the aftermath or not working to really understand what's going on so I think that local news has the benefit of being there and being in the community and I feel like I've seen people really lean into that and really try and you know be there ingrain themselves and and do things in their community so I don't know if that's so much of a change but I would say it's maybe people are leaning into that more uh now that but I do always think that's been an important aspect of it it's interesting it makes me think this is such a great topic because I think it's like so big for a lot of people and it makes me think when you're doing a piece how do you not get so involved in it that you you kind of compromise yourself in the piece you know Absolutely. I mean, I think that is always the question. I think it's really, it's a hard balance because you are getting to know these people and you want to get to know them. Like you want to, I I don't know, you want them to open up to you. You want to gain their trust. And along the way, you start to care about the story you're telling a lot of times and you want to care about it because you want to tell it accurately. And so I do think it's important to kind of give yourself a little bit to every story you're telling but I think realizing that the the story is not about you it is about you know the people or the situation is what at least for me and I think for a lot of other people kind of helps kind of keep that check Uh, and I think it's it's hard because sometimes you do get so invested in the story and you want it to come out well and you want it you know you're the one telling it and so you feel like it's a representation of you and it is to a certain extent but at the same time that's not what's important that's not what matters what really matters is telling the story accurately truthfully and making sure that the people whose story you're telling um you know, are, are happy with it overall. Now that I will say there are certain instances where you might be holding someone accountable and, you know, they're yeah. not going to love the story and you have to report <laughs> on that. But I think just keeping in mind kind of what I said at the very beginning of just like a lot of times the story you're telling, it's a story for you. It's a day's work for you, but it's someone's life or maybe their livelihood. Um, So, and they're trusting you to tell it, you know? So I just think keeping that in mind is important. Is there ever a pull to like, write a certain piece because you think this will elevate me to a certain status and like how do you fight against that yeah um I think with the type of reporting that I do on a daily basis not so much just because I'm really I really am like a true local reporter where I you know I'm involved in this community so I'm really just doing my best to tell stories that my community wants to hear so for me I don't think that's so much of an issue I would say certainly for people working I mean I do think it comes into play a little bit maybe but I would say certainly for people more working um, in maybe bigger cities or where they're getting more national attention that's probably a huge thing that they struggle with and I think that would be hard is you want to I mean Because while I think reporters and journalists, I mean, they love what they do, and I certainly do, it is also a job, and and you want to do well, and you want to be building your career and, you know, working up. And so telling great stories, obviously, is how you do that. So I do think that's a hard pull, but thankfully, that's not something that I feel like I am, you know, facing super often, because I do think it'd be difficult. What's the best piece of journalism that you've uh, encountered as of late? Ooh, that is such a great question. I'm trying to think. I really, so 
the best piece of journalism. I would say, I don't know entirely if I would say it's the, I mean, I think there's certainly flaws with a lot of, you know, everything. I think it's good to be critical when you're reading something or listening yeah. to something. But one thing I've been really impressed with recently is so the Alec Murdoch double murder yes, joke. man. It's in South Carolina and I live in South Carolina. Um, So I actually had been listening for months to this podcast. It's called the Murdoch Murders Podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, yes. it's these journalists that put it together. And I think, again, I do think there's some things that, uh, you know, maybe are I would have done a little bit differently. But just overall, I think that the amount of work that they've put into this podcast and like tr it's true reporting, like they the two reporters have just invested in this. They've really, you know, gotten to know families and gotten to know the community that the story is kind of told in. So I don't know. I think just as a mind, that's kind of on my mind recently because it's going on right now. And I think that that piece of journalism, it's like 70 plus episodes. So I mean, wow. it's like, but I mean, it's, I think it's mind blowing. I think they've done a really incredible job. Oh my. And 70 plus episodes on one particular case. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, it's incredible. wild. <laughs> it's wild. But that's why I think they've done such a good job. And I think, I mean, there's so much to tell with that story in particular, which I mean, clearly there's 70 episodes worth. Uh, but I think they've done a really, really good job. And so many documentaries. I've watched many of them on this yeah, case. Yeah, me too. I was just watching the <laughs> Netflix one. Um, I'm not finished yet, but I watched the first two episodes. It's, you know, I think it's really uh, well done. Yeah, it's like, it feels, you know, one thing is it's interesting because in our legal system, these cases take so long to get to trial Yeah, that there's all this content produced in between the trial and all this stuff. Then they release it around the trial. Yeah, It's like you could create just that content for one, per just one person just devoting themselves to that content for several years. Absolutely. Well, and that's what this podcast has been. It's I think they've been working on it for not the podcast for four years, but those journalists have been reporting on it for four years at this point. So, I mean, man, they've they've racked up a lot of content, but I think they've done so in a really good way. Yeah, I, that sounds I have to check that out. Um, you know, I uh, I've had a few journalists on here. One I really like Emily Stewart from Box. OK, it's pretty good. And she has a every two week like kind of email newsletter it's like reporting. It's called the big squeeze. It's really good. Oh, it's all about how capitalism squeezes us in different ways, like whether it's like the food you eat at the airport, awards that people get, um, just lots of different things that you're like, yeah, why am I paying this fee, hotel yeah. resort fees and stuff like yeah. that? And it's really it's really balanced reporting. But it's also funny how like she always inserts herself as like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'll buy a $20 beer anyways while I'm there because I don't know, yeah. I'm just stuck there. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I just get it sent to my inbox every couple of weeks. I don't subscribe to a lot of stuff like that because I'm, I'm like really critical of the stuff I want to like read. And yeah. I, always, I always tell her, I'm like, this is so good. This is so yeah. well done. Like oh. that you are so vulnerable, but you're also producing something that I think a lot of people are frustrated by which is the lack of regulation and reporting on getting squeezed constantly monetarily in our system. Yeah. It's like she did a great piece on um, airplanes and how like you're, you know, charging for the seats and the bag fees that like the bag fees account for like half of the money that people are, that the airlines are making. It's like an absurd wow. amount of money. Wow. And they would be fine without the bag fees. 
they would be totally fine, but they just rip you for the bag fees. Yeah. And it's just mind blowing that type of stuff, you know? That sounds interesting. And I feel like there's so many little things like that, like that you, I mean, just become so routine. So you don't even think about them. So I think that's really interesting. I'll have to look into that. No, it's good because, you know, you're getting charged for a lot of stuff that you're like, yeah. why am I getting charged this? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. You just accept it or you just, you don't want to deal with the hassle. No, that's what it. I mean. Like, you don't even think about it. Like, I don't know. So, yeah, I'll have to look into that. Maybe I'll try and, you know, negotiate some of those, figure them out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really good stuff. I just, uh, you know, I think reporting and living is really intertwined because we're all getting news constantly. Yeah. Well, so, and I think it can be overwhelming too. And I think that's something that, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of people push back on that also. Because, and I get it. You don't always, I mean, now we have 24 seven news cycles and I think that's a great thing. And I think it's also kind of a tough thing because it can be hard to, you know, just turn it off and shut it out. Um, and so, I mean, certainly staying informed is important. So I think it's important to get that information, but I, you know, sometimes it can be too much. Sometimes you just need to yeah. take a break and, and not hear about everything. Um, so I think finding that balance is, you know, important. And I think that's a challenge for people nowadays. So I do think that kind of has led to the perception of, of news and media. I remember when nothing played past midnight. Yeah. Like, and like it would just basically be like when I lived in Germany, it would just essentially just play like a montage of pictures overnight. <laughs> like it was oh, like interesting. there was nothing you could engage in. And like it, it was just like nothing started up again to like 6 a.m. or something. And uh, yeah. I, I actually don't think it's good that we have constant access. Like, like, why do you need to be doing something at 2 a.m.? Like, 3 yeah. like should be asleep. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, well, and yeah, I mean, that's TV again, it's social media. I mean, yeah. even just having your phone, I, and I'm glad we live in the age that we do because I think that social media and technology is awesome. And I think the fact that we have, you know, all this information literally just at our fingertips with sure. the phone is so cool and such a great thing and so useful. But I do also think it's like, sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes it's 2 a.m. Yeah. and you need to go to bed or, you know, it's lunchtime and you need to sit down and yeah. talk to friends or whatever it is. So I think it's, you know, definitely a hard balance. <laughs> well, I think because too, like we often look at the past and we think we have to move on from a lot of these things. And there are certainly many things from the past that are not relevant or uh, were harmful, but there's still some things from the past that we should not just throw away. And we shouldn't yeah. be like, oh, you know, that was a long time ago. We don't need, like, and I think from the past, it, it actually was good. I think that when there wasn't access beyond a certain time at night, it's like, you need to go to sleep. <laughs> you need to like, you need to get rest. And uh, I think we've kind of encouraged people to just constantly be on a screen at all times of the night and stuff. No, absolutely. Um, I agree with you. So I'm hopeful, you know, I'm not sure that's going to ever happen. That's just my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, hey, we'll see. I mean, I think someone we're going to have to slow down eventually because I also think that's kind of the culture we have, which, and I, I like the culture. I love the hustle and the go, go, go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there comes a point when that's going to be too much. And so we're going to need a, a little reset, I think. So we'll yeah. see. I mean, we don't have any guardrails or things. You just have chaos. Or then, exactly. But a lot of people live in chaos. And if the chaos isn't overwhelmingly negative, you can exist in a chaotic environment for a long time. Um, eventually it catches up to you. But, you know, a lot of people live in chaos, like on a regular yeah. basis. It's, yeah. you know. But you have to have an intervention of change in order for the things to happen. So there would be what's the ethical responsibility and all these things? You know, who's going to do that? Who's not going to do that? Just depends. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. We'll see. 
But uh, thank you so much, Sam, for your time. Um, oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, very enlightening. You know, I don't I love talking to reporters and people in, in journalism because I just think it's so relevant to our time. Yeah, it is. I think it's I mean, obviously, I'm biased, but I think it's really yeah. important. So I love my job. I love doing what I do. And um, I'm, you know, always down to talk about it. So I appreciate it. That's awesome. So how can people connect with you to learn more about your work? Yeah. So you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sam Perez News. And then my book is called Deviate from Denial, Erasing the Stigma of Addiction and Recovery Through Inspirational Stories. That's a long title. You can just look up Deviate <laughs> from Denial anywhere you buy books. Uh, so Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Darian. I appreciate it also. Did you know that yearly Medicaid renewals will start again soon? This means millions of people who were enrolled in Medicaid during the pandemic may no longer be eligible for coverage. If this may impact you, the good news is you have options. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield can help answer your questions so you can find an affordable health plan for you and your family. We want you to feel confident you're covered. Click to learn more. Policy exclusions and limitations apply. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield is the trade name of Community Insurance Company.